Hi, good morning. I'm Dan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary, and uh, you may have seen, I'm pretty famous, actually, there's an article in this week's paper, I am the last guy in Knoxville who does not have a puffy jacket, and uh, so that's a little something about me. I may get one next year, two or three years from now, when nobody else is wearing them, I'm going to get one. I'm glad you're here today. We are in week five of a series uh, that we've been calling Building a New You. We've been talking about how to create uh, a new life for yourself and a, and a new beginning. And I think where each one of us are in our specific individual lives, it's going to look a little differently, and it's going to start differently and play out differently depending on where we are in our journey, where we are in our personalities and in our uh, place of surrender. Uh, with Christ. So we're going to continue that today. Let me just do a quick commercial. If you are a parent of a preschooler or a child, or if you volunteer in that ministry and would like to have some updates on what's going to happen uh, in the future, and today's coming up, where we are in that ministry, there's going to be a very, very brief meeting down in the Kid Stuff Theater uh, right after this worship service. And so for those of you, when you go to pick up your children, uh, remind those folks we we, put it, we posted that on the city and everything we covered in that meeting if you can't come I will post that on the city this week as well just kind of keep you updated so we're all in the same loop together for some of you uh, some of us really we've decided maybe you've decided to get serious about your relationship uh, with God and you've decided I also want to get serious and become the person that God made me to be and see how that works in the relationships around me as well. And for some, that has been a fresh start. And what that means is getting back to square one. Uh, maybe in your marriage, in your family life, in some aspect of your personal life, just being the dad that God's called you to be or the mom or even being the son or the daughter and say, you know, I haven't been the son or daughter I know God's called me to be, uh, and I, and I want to do that. I didn't do that until I was 19 years old and began to try to live out in front of my family what it meant to be in Christ uh, because they had all had religion up to here and had pretty much pushed back from that. And, and I knew whether I wanted to embrace that role or not embrace that role, if they were going to see Jesus, if they were going to get a taste of what it meant to be a follower of his, uh, by default, I was the guy in the house uh, who they would look to. So for a lot of us, it means, wow, it means I've got to start all over. And the good news is you can absolutely do that. Even if it's not your first time to start all over, even if it's... Uh, the second time, or the third time, or again and again, because sometimes we just need to reboot and, and get it, you know, it takes several times before we really get it right. Um, that's what we talked about in, in week one. This is the cutest thing. Okay, um, you need to, uh, first week we talked about casting your net again and again and again, because eventually God's going to fill it to overflowing. So, uh, that's what we talked about in week one. Week two, we talked about how you need to close the door on the past. Stop looking at all that stuff behind you. The junk, the events, the mistakes, the regrets. It's done, okay? It's over. So 
close the door, slam the door, and go forward. Week three, we talked about getting our priorities straight, zeroing in on what really, really matters in our relationship with, with God as well as a relationship with other people. And what really matters, uh, we said love first, serve second. Love first, serve second. Then last week, we talked about dealing with spiritual warfare, particularly in how to handle temptation. And when faced with the opportunity to compromise, um, we said we need to ask ourselves three questions. What do I really need? What do I really want? And what do I really believe? And I, I love that during the week, there's a guy in our fellowship that's been, been coming to Calvary recently, and he said, you know, I was faced with something this week, and he said, for whatever reason, he said, this is not typical of me. He said, but those questions popped back in my head. And he said, and I just paused because he said, just out of habit or, you know, this tendency we have, I'll do, that's my go-to behavior. I'm just going to do it again. And he said, I just stopped, and I answered each one of those questions, turned around, went the other way. I said, you just made my whole week uh, because I, I think those questions really, really work because the answer is always God is all I need, God is all I want and I'm going to put my trust in him. So today, we're going to look at another principle essential for building a new life for yourself. And this principle is tucked away in Luke chapter 9. Now, a lot of guys like me, whenever they're speaking about something, in, it's not specifically about something, it's like that's what's in my head. That's what's on our minds, and we'll say, this is the most important thing I've ever learned. This is the biggest deal about the Christian life. This is how they talk. They talk like this. Uh, and, 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 you know, they think, you've got to get this. And then the next week, they talk about something else, and they go, no, 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 no. This is the most important thing. Guys, this is it. This is, this is the principle. Other than my surrender to Christ in that initial moment, what I'm going to share with you, teach, preach today, is, is really the, the, the best, most powerful, influential principle that has changed my life uh, than all the things that I'm, I'm trying to learn. Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000. Uh, and then he asked the disciples, who do you say I am? Who do you, got, who do you guys think I am? And I th in my imagination, I think it was quiet for just a moment. The disciples kind of glanced at each other. And maybe Peter cleared his throat. <clears> throat. You're the Christ. It's almost like he had figured this out and said, You're him, aren't you? You're the one we've been waiting for. Right? You're him. At that moment, you could just imagine that his eyes and Jesus, they just met for a moment, and maybe Jesus just gave a little nod, and everybody, it was affirmed. We know who you are. And then Jesus said, guys, don't tell anyone yet. There's a way, there's a process. I want to unfold this in the right way, so don't go... I don't want this ministry built on that platform and for people to rally around me because of, of this idea and this expectation they have about what Messiah is. So for the time being, shh, 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 just don't say anything about that part yet. Then Jesus went on because he could confide in them. He could tell them, this is how 
it's going to work. And he told me, I've got to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by religious authorities. Uh, I'm going to be actually put to death. And these guys are listening to him going, we, what are you talking about? And he told him, he said, then I'm going to be raised back to life. He prophesied all of this. And I'm not sure they understood everything he was saying. I think sometimes it's almost like when you explain something to your children and they just nod and go, yeah, yeah, got it. And you know, or if you're a teacher, if you're in education and, uh, you know, and you've just explained some complicated process or problem on the board and he goes, everybody understand, everybody get it. And the guys like me would sit there and go, uh-huh, going, I had no idea. <laughs> but I was that kid that was too shy to, to raise my hand and go, Okay, I'm the one person that doesn't understand this for whatever, you know. And, uh, I think they were like that. They just didn't, didn't 100% get it, but just think, let's just go with the flow. Because Jesus often spoke in parables, and maybe they thought, there he goes again. He's speaking metaphorically, and he sort of goes off like that sometimes. And, and because they believed in a conquering Messiah, that was their image and their idea since the time they were babies. Uh, it was really difficult for them to wrap their heads around the idea that God's chosen, the anointed one, the Christ, would be put to death. How can God die? How can you do that? It just didn't make any sense. They just sort of set that over to the side. Now, of course, after the fact, we see it as plain as day in the Old Testament. We read passages like Isaiah 53, and we go, how in the world could they read that and not get it? But they did. And I think one day when Jesus has come again, we would look back on um, uh, scriptures in Thessalonians and in the Revelation to John and go, oh my goodness, now it just makes perfect sense. We, we, we see, we see. They hadn't put all the pieces of the puzzle together yet, and they weren't really clear about everything that's going to take place. So... In these next few verses, Jesus explains to his followers in just real plain language uh, what it means to be his follower. And he particularly picks up uh, this important principle and this theme and lays it out for them in verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? Now you don't have to listen to me very long before you recognize there's this thread that runs through my messages and my heart. And it's this. Jesus came to give you uh, abundant life. And I don't apologize or back off from the abundant part. He wants you to live in victory. He wants for sin to not be dominant over you anymore. For you to have victory. Uh, he wants you to have not just a good life. He doesn't want you off and, you know, kind of set you on your way, a better version of yourself. He's not interested in that. He wants you to have a great life. He wants you to be more than a conqueror. And that implies that we still have battles to face all along the way. 
and we do. But he wants to do something unique and different in you that you may not have imagined when you first prayed to receive Christ, whenever that was for you. Maybe it was um, in a vacation Bible school or at a camp or in a retreat center or maybe in a series of meetings or maybe a friend led you to the Lord. Whatever that moment looked like for you, you might not have known the bigger picture that God just continues to unfold as we go forward with him. So today, well, that's what I want to do is to try to, to kind of give you a bigger, deeper, stronger idea of what it means to be a follower of his. One of my favorite classic writers was a guy named Watchman Nee. Uh, and he was very unique in a lot of different ways. And this is what he had to say about it. And, and I told the tech guys, I said, I usually don't put long quotes or text up because I know there's a tendency when we see a lot of something written on a screen, we just go, oh, my goodness, that's overwhelming, so I'm not even going to try. But I put these quotes up, and if you'd like them, uh, you can find them. You could probably just Google it or something. Um, but I could, I could post it or send it to you if you're more interested. But here's what Watchman Nee said, and I love this. Check it out. God's means of delivering us from sin is not by making us stronger and stronger but by making us weaker and weaker this is surely rather a peculiar way of victory you say but it is the divine way God sets us free from the dominion of sin not by strengthening our old man but by crucifying him not by helping him to do anything but by removing him from the scene of action watchman is talking about a principle that I will just call dying to self if you want to make a new beginning in your life and create a great life for yourself you can do it but you need to know that it comes with a great price. A great marriage comes with a great price. A great family life comes with a great price. In fact, success in any endeavor I can think of always comes with a great price. But if you pay that price, you will experience your best possible life. So today we're going to talk about what is that price? And there's a few things I'm going to want you to see. So I've got some talking points, and here's the first one. Your best possible life is experienced when you deny yourself and follow Christ with abandon. Jesus said in verse 23, If anyone come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Can't you imagine those first guys scratched their head and thought, what are you talking about? Crosses and what? What does this mean? Maybe you've heard of, a, of, a, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian uh, whose ministry began to really take off in the late 1930s. Now, and you know what else began to take off in the late 1930s in Germany as well. Hitler had risen to power and had begun to manipulate the minds of the German people. And in order to change the values and the direction of the nation, um, it had just become an incredibly different society. Bonhoeffer was very outspoken 
in his criticism of the Nazi regime. One time, actually during a radio broadcast, he was calling for the German people to take a stand for what is right, particularly those who are Christians, and to stand against this growing force of oppression uh, in, in Germany. And the transmission was just cut off mid-sentence by the authorities. They began to know this is a dangerous guy and tried to shut him down every way they could. Bonhoeffer was a, had been a guest lecturer uh, here in the U.S. at a theological seminary in New York City. And he was given the opportunity to come back and to teach as a, as a permanent resident, as a member of the faculty. And it was a, it was a perfect opportunity to get out of Germany uh, in, this, in, in the nation's darkest hour, when, he, when the whole world could see what was happening. He could have had a fairly a, a good life. I mean, a, an easy life in New York City, a comfortable life, just applying himself to academics and being a part of that community. But Bonhoeffer turned down that chance, saying, in fact, and these are his exact words, I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the people of Germany. And he went back home. After he was forbidden by the Gestapo to preach in public, he spent years traveling in secret from one village to the next, doing what he called seminary on the run. He would teach and train these courageous pastors who were willing uh, to serve illegally in all these small churches that were still throughout the country. Finally, in 1943, he was arrested and placed in a concentration camp, and he was sentenced to death. And this is this tragic thing that happened on April 8, 1945. Just a few weeks, I think Germany began to fall the next week. Within two weeks, there was surrender. Within the third week, I think Hitler committed suicide. It, Everything began to fall apart just weeks after he was executed. One of his closest friends who witnessed the execution, who was a physician, um, said that he watched Bonhoeffer praying alone uh, in his cell, between his cell, before he was hanged in his final hours. And I want you just to listen to what he wrote about this man. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Many years before this happened, Bonhoeffer wrote a book that has become a Christian classic. It was one of the first books that I ever read when I was in college, actually, called The Cost of Discipleship, and includes this phrase that I think he's more famous for than anything else he said, uh, and it proved to be prophetic for him. It was this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him.
Bonhoeffer didn't write those words from a nice comfortable study in New York City or from some ivory tower. He, he wrote that in a prison cell. And that's the truth that I want you to pick up on today. When Christ calls you, he bids you come and die. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about dying a physical death. It could come to that. But what I'm talking about is dying to everything that stands between you and a heart that's completely sold out to Jesus. I don't know of any shortcuts. We all go through life with hopes and plans and dreams and ambitions. And, and these things can become toxic when they take first place in your life first place belongs to Jesus. And you can be sure of that because before you can experience any greatness in li this life, you're going to be called to say no to yourself. And I know, because I know most of you personally, and you've expressed a sincere desire to experience a new beginning in life. We've all been to that place. We've all been there probably more than once. I want you to know it's yours for the taking, but you've got to understand this crucial truth. In order for you to begin a new life, to take a permanent hold in your life, you need to be willing to say, as Jesus said uh, in his prayer to the Father, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, yours be done. He really meant that when he stepped forward. Folks, I can tell you from personal experience, if your, your attitude and your heart right now is, but, you know, Dan, I've got all these dreams, and they belong to me, and if God wants to participate in helping me live the life I want, then that's, that's awesome. That's wonderful. I'm perfectly happy for God to come along for the ride and to be with me. I love having God as my companion and I love being able to say I'm a Christian and, and to be have some religion in my life. Guys, I, I just I don't want you to be disappointed, but that's really not what this is about at all. Because if that's your plan, I just tell you, it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. When people live for themselves and they leave God out of the equation, you may achieve some of those dreams. But it will turn out again and again and again and again to be an empty victory. Because you will lose yourself in the process. Jesus referred to it in today's text as gaining the whole world, but forfeiting your soul or yourself. Have you ever known somebody who maybe accumulated a vast amount of material things uh, and every outward sign of success they could have but their life was still empty and it's not just about getting to this place and saying wow I should have it I've known people at all levels of life economically and socially and relationally and however, to be either happy or unhappy to be fulfilled and have a sense of destiny and purpose in those who don't but I had a guy not long ago who 
who just wept and he said you know I've got everything and he began to list some of the things he had achieved and and his status and his the things he owned he said but Dan he said I've lost my kids and they won't even speak to me he said I'd trade it all and that just haunted me he said I would trade it all just to have them in my life again To avoid a tragedy like that, you need to decide up front. You guys are still in middle school, and high school, university. Some of you just starting your careers and your families. Now's the perfect time. Even in the middle of your life, it's not too late. Even at the end. Say, God, I let go of everything that I think I want or need, and I surrender it to you. I'm no longer the center of my universe. You are. That's where your best possible life begins. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Your best possible life is lived out one day at a time. One day at a time. There's a similar version of this quote by Jesus in the book of Matthew in the 16th chapter and the um, the 24th verse. But this version in Luke includes one more word that just kind of gives it some extra punch to it and, and, and it's this word daily in verse 23 he said he must deny himself and take up his cross daily you can circle or underline that and follow me see when Jesus spoke about taking up your cross he knew what that meant and even though he spoke these words before he died on Calvary he knew where he was going and he knew for himself that death on the cross was going to be very literal, very physical kind of event. Uh, and they had seen these condemned men being paraded through the streets, and often they would carry that cross beam to the cross, and they knew where they were going, and they knew how gruesome that was going to be and how torturous it was. Uh, they would make their way outside the city gates to face their execution. So when he used that language and that imagery, everybody knew. He just emotionally pulled everybody into the moment. And Jesus said, you've got to do that every day. You've got to die like that every day. Because you don't coast through life solely on a sinner's prayer that you prayed many years ago in this moment of surrender to the Lordship of Christ. That's just where it starts. That's the, that's the beginning place, not the ending place. Every day thereafter, it's our job to go back to that moment and say, God, I'm still in surrender to you. Here's a quote. I'm going to give you one more quote. Uh, and this is from a guy I admire a lot, C.S. Lewis. Um, I think I've read everything he's ever written. I just, I just love this guy. He was such a, just a regular kind of guy, even he, though he was so brilliant. Uh, this is a quote from one of, his, one of his letters, and I think this says it better than I can, so I want you to hear it like this. He says this, The real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not actually or usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals, and the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them back in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on all day. 
What's he talking about? He's talking about what we're talking about, dying to self. He says you've got to do it every day. The pianist uh, Andre Previn once said, if I miss a day of practice, I know it. If I miss two days, my manager knows it. If I miss three days, my audience knows it. And I think, I think the same thing can be said about dying to self. If you start skipping days, maybe nobody's going to notice it at first but you. Uh, and then it's going to catch up to you. I've been there because I'm a pastor. And I think it's going to be real evident pretty quickly if I start skipping that with the Lord. If I don't deny myself and if I don't die to me and allow Jesus to flow through me, at first I'm going to tell it, my family's going to be able to tell it, the people I live with and the staff's going to tell it because they're around me pretty often. It won't take long before you're going to know it and you're going to be able to tell it. So I have to die every day. So a few years ago I began this, this, this practice because... I know the kind of guy I am. And I know how flawed, even more so than you know how flawed that I am. And I know my quirks better than anyone. So every morning, I get up and start to get ready. And I've got a routine, you know, how we kind of get into this, this groove. Mine includes coffee pretty fast. Uh, that's part of the agenda. And going out and getting the paper. I read a couple of papers and... Um, I like to do that, have some breakfast now. Our grandson's with us for a few weeks. So uh, I'm that guy that gets up first, and I listen for him. And then he's the second guy up, and I get him up and bring him down, get him some coffee. Uh, and we have a little time together, and we, we kind of enjoy that. And, but, but in that process, usually upstairs in front of the mirror, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you shave, brush your teeth, and do all that process getting ready. Part of that regime, or that, that, what do you call it? Not regime, uh, red, what is it? Regiment? Uh, the routine, I don't know how to say, I can't say the word. It just kind of left my head. Um, it'll come back later and I'll call you and tell you what it was. But uh, I think you, you know, and you're just, you're thinking, ah. I have included this. I just stop and say, Lord. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Today, Father, as I died it myself, would you live in me? Oh, Spirit, would you live in me? And then at night, I kind of do that in reverse. Uh, I just say, Lord, today I see moments where I was not a crucified man. I see moments where my flesh, myself, took over. And I was annoyed, or I was selfish, or I was angry, or I was you know, self-centered in this moment. And I see where, Lord, would you, I just need you to forgive me for that, and tomorrow I'm going to live my life in Christ. And I'm still not there. Folks, this is a process. I don't wake up every day and go, oh, I'm there. And you don't think that when you see me. You think, wow, he's arrived. We know that we haven't, but it's a process. I tell you what, I'm finding more purpose and joy and strength and assurance and peace and contentment and fulfillment than I've ever known in my life. 
there's so much less of trying to struggle with the guilt and the shame and the regrets of the past as I'm experiencing the freedom and the joy of just knowing Jesus. But it only comes when you die to yourself. Jesus could never have been resurrected from if he hadn't have allowed himself to have been crucified on the cross. There's one other idea. When your best possible life doesn't follow your plan, something greater, something of eternal value is out there waiting for you. Even in the case of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, I think about his death in a concentration camp and just a couple of weeks before liberation. Wow, what a tragedy, just how awful. But it gave him this international platform so that his writings would continue to influence not just theological thought, but all of us in so many profound ways. Going on, what, like 70 plus years later, he's still having this uh, powerful influence. See, guys, if you spend your life grasping for everything that you want, because, well, it's what I want, and what I want matters, and I, I just kind of got to get that. And it's eventually, it will slip through your fingers. I promise you it will. But if you spend your life submitted to the will of God, your life becomes something greater and more beautiful than you could have ever imagined it to be. This is how Jesus said it in verse 24. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will save it. And I know that sounds backwards, and I know it sounds counterintuitive. And that's why it's so difficult, I think, for very many people to embrace the crucified life. It just comes down to say, being able to say to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. What do you want to do today? I know some people talk about, uh, and I've said this, and somebody recently said this to me, said, Dan, I've been listening to you, and I just, I want to turn over a new leaf. And I said, you know, I said, well, I get what you're saying, uh, but really this is about experiencing a whole new life. Because you turn over a new leaf, and then after a while that new leaf gets brown and crinkly and brittle, and it crumbles and blows away. But a new life lasts forever. And that's what God's calling you to, a new life. Not just a new season, not just something good. And that's what he wants you to have. How do you get there? Well, I asked a guy that um, I said, I, I get what you say. And I said, I'm getting it intellectually. And I'm, I said, it's like, I, I feel like I'm right on the verge of stepping into this. And I, but I, but I don't know what, what do I do? See, I'm a do. I'm one of those people, right? You, maybe you're like that. What do I do? Give me something. I can fix it, or I can improve, or I, I'm just ready to, you know, get to work. Uh, and I found out it's not the way. So I, I asked him. And I said, "What do I, What do I do?" He said, "You want short version or the long version?" I said, "I want short version." He said, "Drop dead." <laughs> well, that sounded rude, you know. He said, just drop dead. He said, God doesn't need you to be a better Christian. He doesn't need you to be a better pastor, a better preacher, a better husband, a better father. He said, just need you to drop dead, get buried, so you're out of the way, and Jesus can 
love your wife through you and love your kids through you and love your church through you and and that Jesus wants to come alive in and through you and he wants to be released from your life he said so drop dead and get buried he told me that on a Monday and it wasn't until a Thursday night following that that somehow I got it and in the quietness of my room all alone I just lifted up my hands and said Lord by faith tonight I die to myself and Jesus I allow you to live in and through my life he doesn't need you to be constantly improving and I can do this better tomorrow I just know I can he said Dan you just you're always going to be disappointed. Just die. Just let go. Fall into me. And watch what happens alive in you and through you. So I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing. Jesus said this perfectly in John 12, 24. Here's the principle. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. When you're willing to die to yourself and to live out of your new identity in Christ, then God is free to do some amazing things in you. This is how you live your best possible life. You wake up every morning and you proclaim, not my will, but yours be done. I have this dream um, because I'm at this place in my life where I, I don't see a lot of men and women finish well. I see some. Um, but I see some live a good life and then get off track or what. And I just think, God, I, I want to be one of the guys that finishes well. I want to finish well. And I realized that I could, you know, give, give an extra burst of speed toward the finish line and try to be a better guy. But who am I kidding? I'm not kidding me. I'm not kidding God. And I know I'm not kidding you. I think, God, how do I do that? Because my my family and my kids... And you know all my quirks and my flaws and my goofy stuff. And you think, oh, I wish he wasn't like that or he didn't say this. or you know. And we all kind of feel that way about one another sometimes. And God said, but what if knowing that the people around you saw Jesus using you? flowing in you with all your crazy stuff with all your you-ness of who you are what if in spite of that they saw you as an influence in, in your moment in your generation in your time and, and so that thought just began to come alive in me 
And I just began to be set free and think, oh, so I don't have to pretend I'm not this way or that way or, or always be defensive or this. Just be who you are. That unique, beautiful, quirky, crazy, goofy person that you are. And all the stuff that you tried to hide and put away and that you cover up so nobody will not like you. God says, I just want to set you free from that. Just be you. But allow me that first place. And when you surrender, and you live there, God will do amazing and beautiful things. I wish that for you with all my heart. Because that's your best possible life. And he will get the glory. And I know one day, you know, the, I, my kids, maybe some of you, you'll come to my funeral and you'll say, wow, that was a goofy guy. And you'll tell funny stories. Do you remember the time he did this? And you think, yeah, what was he thinking? He was kind of a nut. Yeah, he was. And you'll think, yeah, but wow, God just used him. And then he gets the glory. Because I know at the end of my day, you're not going to say, wow, he was just amazing in every way. He was so charismatic and tall, handsome, and eloquent. and you know, You're not going to say any of those things. And I don't care. I just want you to be able to say, but oh my. If there was ever a more unlikely person to make a difference in his generation it was him but God did so you want to be that person you can be and this is where it begins would you stand drop dead get buried come alive father set us free in this moment in Jesus' name.